This has been an important week. Um, my guess is that most of you know what has happened this week. If, you've been, if you're on the email prayer chain, uh, you are aware of this and you have been praying. But even just, um, just if, you, if you've been tuned in at all to what's been going on nationally, you know that this, email was, or this, this week was a very important week because the Supreme Court heard arguments in a case that has the very real possibility of overturning Roe versus Wade. Amen, indeed. This is the first direct challenge to Roe versus Wade in many years, in fact, decades. And the verdict, well, the Supreme Court does not act quickly. I guess that's good. The verdict will probably be announced next summer. So we've got quite a while to wait. But I thank you for praying. Um, if you happen to know that was going on and prayed. Well, much of this week for me was spent thinking and praying about abortion in our country. It has been a while for me since I thought deeply about Roe versus Wade and about the abortion issue. It seems like we've had so many other things to think deeply about. And I, I chuckle in a, in a horrible way to think about that. We have had so many challenges, haven't we? just in the past less than two years. And yet here we are, thinking about Roe versus Wade. January 22, 1973 is when the decision came down for Roe versus Wade. You know, I was born in 1976. So that means that my entire life, all I have known is a country in which abortion is legal. My entire life. I have never known another way. For some of you that are a little bit older than I am, I want you to consider that. I mean, I'm not exactly a spring chicken. Abortion has been legal in all 50 states of our country my entire life. I have not known a country without legalized abortion. Well, this week has also been spent by me thinking about Advent. We're in the second Sunday of Advent, and do you remember what the word Advent means? Arrival. Yes. The season of Advent is, is a season of preparing for the arrival of Jesus Christ. The Advent season is a special time. It's a time of getting our hearts and our minds straight with who Jesus is and, and the implications that he came to earth. The Lord God himself came to earth as one of us. It takes a month every year just to get that. I think that this is good. Like, I need that month to get my brain straightened around, especially this year. It's a time of getting ourselves ready. And each Sunday of Advent gives a special focus to look at a specific aspect of getting ready for Jesus' arrival. Now, you may remember, I hope you remember, that last Sunday was the Sunday of Hope. The Advent Sunday of Hope. We looked at how the Jewish people at the end of the Old Testament were preparing for the arrival of the Messiah, the Anointed One. And we, we looked at the time right at the end of the Old Testament where the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the minor prophets, ministered. This Sunday is the second Sunday of Advent, and it is the Sunday of preparation. You know, this concept of preparation has been especially on my mind this week as Sunday has approached. 
Remember, the idea of Advent or arrival is more than just a Christmas ritual. It's also preparing us for the second arrival of Christ, which will take place sometime in our future. And that brings me to the key question for today. What does it mean to be prepared for the arrival of Jesus? That's what I want to talk about today. Lord God, as we enter into your word today, it's with a sense of expectation. Because Holy Spirit, we invite you here to speak through your inspired word now and inspired understanding of your word. Help us to read and understand because you give us what we need, Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, we started with reading a section from the New Testament book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. You may not remember that, but that's okay. This morning, I want to read the same passage again, except instead of just stopping at verse 13, I'm going to continue on and finish the chapter. It's only a few more verses. But as I read, I want you to pay extra attention to the idea of preparation. I want you to pay extra attention to what Peter is telling us about being prepared for the second advent of Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, 
and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote, also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I'm not quite sure why, but the book of Second Peter has just been alive to me for the past number of months. I have read that chapter of Scripture over and over, and every time I read it, it becomes more vivid. I hope it does for you as well. Take a look at your bulletin, would you? If you open up your bulletin, you'll see a section in there about the second Sunday of Advent. Preparation. And it says in your bulletin, the lighting of the second candle symbolizes our preparation as we expectantly wait for Jesus Christ who will forgive our sin. And then there's a, a two scripture quotations, one from Jeremiah and then uh, another from Mark. The Jeremiah comes from Jeremiah 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And then Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Preparation. Preparation for the second advent of Christ. Preparation for the first advent of Christ. In many ways, especially in the Old Testament, there's a combination of the first advent and the second advent because the Old Testament prophets hadn't discerned that there was going to be two. (laughs) But there are going to be two. What I find interesting about this passage in Mark, you can leave that up there. I'm about to switch to another. But what I find interesting about this passage in Mark is... Mark says, you know, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. But what is interesting is that the first part of that's not in Isaiah. That part that says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The second part is Isaiah, but the first part is Malachi. And oh yes, the Lord has once again said, I can't leave the minor prophets, even in the Christmas season. So Malachi, I want to talk to you about Something about Malachi that has connection with preparation for Advent today. I want to go to Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and you'll, or 1 through 4. You'll see a connection with Mark, verses 2 and 3. So in Malachi chapter 3, it says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Well, that sounds familiar, huh? Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. Ah, yes. Preparation for the Messiah in Malachi. Did you see it? Malachi is saying, be ready. There will be a messenger who will come in front of the Lord Almighty. And the Lord Almighty will come to the temple. Of course, you know what he's talking about. Jesus. Standing in the flesh in the temple. Malachi's prophecy, 500 some years before Jesus, prophesies that the messenger, of course, who we now know as John the Baptist, will precede the Lord Almighty himself, who we now know as Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king. And of course, if you were also listening to that passage in Malachi, you will hear, once again, the day of the Lord. Wow, that's everywhere in the Minor Prophets, isn't it? The day of the Lord is a key theme throughout all 16 of the prophets, both major and minor. And here we have it again. We see again the day of the Lord. And as I've, as I've mentioned to you before in this Minor Prophet series, when the prophets talk about the day of the Lord, they're really talking about days when God comes in judgment. And in the Minor Prophets, some of those days already happened, like in the book of Joel. Do you remember? The locust plague was talked about as a day of the Lord. But they also point to a complete and a finished day of the Lord. And we know about that day of the Lord. We just read it in Second Peter. It is the day when Jesus comes again. The second advent of Christ will be the final and most significant day of the Lord. The day, as we read in Second Peter, when the elements will melt by the heat. God will refine. Did you catch this? In Malachi, the talk of a refining by fire. This all fits together, you guys. Isn't that cool? The Old Testament, the New Testament, they fit together. And of course, Jesus is how they fit together. He is the key, the linchpin of it all. Now, notice in Mark that he quotes Malachi as a prophecy concerning the coming of John the Baptist, as I mentioned, as a forerunner of the Lord himself coming to the people. And of course, we now know that this coming of the Lord himself was Jesus, the Messiah, as I mentioned, God in the flesh. But all of this got me thinking. We've been studying the minor prophets. What is it about Malachi's prophetic message that connects the idea of preparing for the advent of Christ? And here's what I mean by that. You see, Malachi's message was given to the people of Israel as a way to say to them, prepare, the, prepare yourselves for the Lord Almighty is personally coming. Right? That's, the, that's like the message of Malachi. Like, you need to get ready. Because God's coming. Now, little did the Israelites know. In fact, they they didn't realize it was really going to be God really coming as a human being. Like that, they didn't get it, even though Malachi was telling them that, right? Now, if you know the story of Jesus, and I assume you do know the story of Jesus, then you will know that the Jews of Jesus' time 
were vastly unprepared for the first advent, the first arrival of Jesus. Right? The Jews were not ready for the first advent. They failed to be prepared. I don't want us to make the same mistake about the second advent. And I think we're in danger of it. I think that we today, the church, is as unprepared for the second arrival of Christ as, we, as the Jews were for the first. And here's the thing about the Jews right before Jesus came. They thought they were ready. Warning, warning to the church today. I think Malachi has got a huge amount to say to the church today as we are perhaps on the precipice of the second advent of Jesus Christ. I think we have much to learn from Malachi who was trying to warn his contemporaries about the first advent. And what Malachi said about the first advent, I believe, applies very much to us today. Now, I don't have time to read the entire book of Malachi. It's not very long, but it's too long for one sermon. So please turn to Malachi. I'm going to focus on one section in Malachi today that I think gets the idea of preparation across. So turn to Malachi chapter 1, if you haven't already. And as you turn there, I want to share three fun facts about Malachi, and then we're going to read a section, okay? Fun fact number one about Malachi. The name Malachi in Hebrew means messenger. So, if you say the word Malachi, you're actually saying the Hebrew word messenger. Uh, In Greek, angelos, angel, okay? Messenger. That's the word Malachi. Like, it probably was the guy's name, but it's really like like a play on words. Like, Malachi means messenger from the Lord. Like, that's what it means. That's what the word means. Second fun fact. Malachi, the book of Malachi, is set up as a dialogue between God and the people of Israel. Now, what's interesting, what's fun, I think, is that this is very similar to two other Old Testament books that maybe don't come to mind right away. The first is the book of Job. Job is set up as a dialogue between Job and God. And the second book, if you got this one, if anybody knows the second one, I would give you a sucker. Because... Hopefully you would remember this from like three years ago. I preached a sermon series on this book of Scripture. But you probably won't remember. Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. A minor prophet. Uh, I preached three sermons on that about three years ago. Uh, The book of Habakkuk is also a dialogue between the prophet Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk was like, God, why don't you punish evil people? And God's like, yeah, I'm God. So I got this. Just chill out. Okay, so Malachi is set up like that. It's set up like a dialogue between the people of Israel and God. Now, in Job and Habakkuk, God is very patient with Job and very patient with Habakkuk. And he has a very real conversation because he knows that Job and Habakkuk, are, they're talking to God because they don't understand what God is doing. Like, they, it doesn't fit with who they understand God to be. And so they're asking God. They're questioning God. Like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And God is very patient with them. Ah, but in Malachi, it's a dialogue, but God ain't patient at all. And the reason why he's not patient with the people of Israel in the book of Malachi is because they're not seriously trying to understand God. 
They're pretty much just complaining. And there's a difference between those two things. God welcomes us to dialogue with him when we don't understand what he's doing. He doesn't welcome whining. He doesn't welcome, you know, God, it's not fair. He doesn't welcome that. So Malachi is a dialogue from the people of Israel, but God doesn't have time for it because the people's heart isn't right. And final, the third final fun fact. Malachi, as you very likely know, is the last of the minor prophets. And in fact, Malachi is the last book in our Old Testament. And this makes sense because Malachi is really the last Old Testament book chronologically. It's the final book. So when you look at the timeline, it's the final book on the Old Testament timeline. And after Malachi, God does not speak directly to his people through a prophet until John the Baptist. So between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's approximately 400 years in which God does not speak through a prophet to his people. Now, God was active and he was doing things during that 400 years, but he doesn't speak through a prophet in that way. So Malachi, this message of the Lord given by a messenger to his people, this is the last thing God has to say officially to his people right before the Messiah. If you're looking for what it means to be ready and be prepared for the advent of Christ, Malachi is the book for you. And I think it's the book for us. Even as we celebrate Advent, looking backwards to Jesus' first, but forwards to Jesus' second arrival. All right, there's your fun facts. You didn't respond like they were very fun. I thought they were fun. You guys are like, just please, Lord, get me through the next 15 minutes. That's kind of what I'm, that's the vibe I'm getting from you today. Those of you at home, if you're still there, amen. All right. Malachi chapter 1, we're going to read verses 6 through 14. If you're there, let's read. <coughs> Excuse me. This is God speaking through his messenger, Malachi. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You placed defiled foods in my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? That's pretty much how I think the priests are speaking. So it's, it's interpretive reading, okay? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, 
that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say... What a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Oh, I believe that this is all about Advent. I believe this is all about preparation for the arrival of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about that. Consider preparation. What was the Lord upset about in this passage? What was he upset about? They were offering crippled, blind animals. And they had good ones to offer. It's all about respect, isn't it? They had no respect for the Lord. They were going through the motions of worship, right? But they weren't actually worshiping. Oh, they were doing their duty, but they weren't loving the Lord, were they? Hmm. Look again at verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Look, at the Lord is saying, I am the Lord Almighty. I deserve respect. Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. The Lord is worthy of respect. Real respect, not just words, actions. Right? It's not enough just to say the right thing. Surely it's not enough just to know about the Lord, is it? That knowledge must change you. Verses 7 and 8. You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? By the way, did you notice that says the Lord Almighty is like 10 times? (laughs) Like, do you remember who you're talking to? 
I am the Lord Almighty. Hello? Anyone listening? The people were bringing blind, crippled, and diseased animals as sacrifices in their worship of God. Well, what is a sacrifice? We better define that. Well, in the Old Testament, and by the way, what does the word testament mean? Covenant. Contract. Who? that scared me. I didn't think you were going to answer. And then I was going to have to quit. Covenant. Christians, the Bible only has two parts, an old one and a new one. We better know what the word means. Okay? The word testament means covenant. There's an old covenant, there's a new covenant. Everybody got that? If I ever ask you that again, you're going to be like, that means covenant. Like if I say good news means, oh wait, gospel, no, never mind, I messed that up. <laughs> That's what I get for not following my notes. All right, so here we go. Yes, the word gospel means good news. The word testament means covenant. Everybody got that. Thank you. Excellent. So in the Old Testament, the people had, as part of the covenant, in the Old Covenant, the people were required to worship the Lord by bringing animals to the temple in Jerusalem to offer as sacrifice to the Lord. And the Lord was very clear, you bring the best. You bring the first fruits. You bring, you bring the best lambs. You bring the first of the grain that you harvest. The best is given to the Lord. Now we're in the New Testament. We know that Jesus is the sacrifice that ended the animal sacrificial system, right? We know that. I mean, and if you don't know that, please read the entire book of Hebrews, okay? Jesus is the sacrifice that ended the animal sacrificial system in the new contract, the new covenant, right? But we also know as Christians, the idea of sacrifice has not gone away from the old covenant to the new. The idea of sacrifice is still very much alive. I want to read two New Testament passages. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So there we go. Jesus is the one sacrifice that ended the animal sacrificial system. But there's still more about sacrifice in the new covenant. There's a very familiar passage of scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what this says about sacrificing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Notice the connection again between sacrifice and worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I have so many people come up and say, I just don't know God's will. And I say, why don't you read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? No, I want to know what God's plan is for my life. Yeah, read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Yeah, but pastor, what does that have? how does that tell me what God's will is? Because if you haven't offered your body as a living sacrifice, you're not going to know God's will. 
Sacrifice is still a central part of the new covenant. Absolutely. What are the sacrifices of the New Testament? Jesus, once and for all, sacrifice for sin, abolishing the animal sacrificial system. But number two, we ourselves offer our bodies as living sacrifices daily. We renew our minds daily. Sacrifice is an integral part of the new covenant. And here's the thing about sacrifices. In order for something to be a sacrifice, it has to cost you something. Did you get that? A sacrifice that doesn't cost you anything isn't a sacrifice. By definition. Makes sense, doesn't it? Sacrifices cost something. Bringing sacrifices to the Lord that are less than our best, did you hear in Malachi? Is sin. And that applies in the Old Covenant and the New. Now, we don't bring lambs. We don't bring pigeons. We don't put them on the altar and cut them and smoke them and burn them. And we don't do that because we're in the New Covenant. Oh, but the idea of sacrifice is still in the center of everything that is the covenant between God and us. We celebrated the sacrifice of the New Covenant this morning, didn't we? I said it. Jesus' blood, a sign of a new covenant between God and us. But now I'm suggesting to you, based upon Romans 12, Jesus' sacrifice must be with the sacrifice of our bodies for the new covenant to take effect. Do you see that? You have to say yes to the covenant, is what I'm saying. You have to say yes To everything that I am, I give to Jesus Christ. It's not enough to know about Jesus, is it? Because I know about Jesus. I know about his sacrifice. I know about Jesus' blood that was shed for me to take away sins. But it does not take away your sin unless you also are willing to sacrifice your body. There is a necessity To say yes to God. How do we prepare for the second arrival of Jesus? You have to give him your best. Not a blemished sacrifice. Now, when we talk about a blemished sacrifice in the new covenant, what do you suppose that might look like? Um, you know, Malachi is a, is a great book because there's a whole section in chapter 3 about tithing. <laughs> I wonder how that's related. <laughs> of course. What does it mean to give the first fruits? What does it mean to give the best? What does it mean to give the top of your income to the Lord? I don't preach very much about giving in our church. Except I preach every single Sunday about when, when, the, when the ushers come forward. I, I do a little sermon every time the ushers come forward, don't I? Right? It's about giving our best. You see how what Malachi has to say in the next chapter is exactly related to this chapter. It's exactly related. And it's all related to the preparation that we need to do in our own hearts for the coming of Jesus Christ. For the arrival of Jesus Christ. You've got to give your best. Second best does not work. 
We give all that we are. Less than we are is sin. So what does it mean as we prepare for the arrival of Jesus? How are we to be prepared? How are we to be ready? And the answer, of course, is give your best. You've got to give your best, always your best. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And yes, this applies to algebra homework. Chemistry 2. Chemistry 2. Whether or not you like the teacher. Okay? Yes, this applies to your job that you hate right now. Yes, this applies to your family member that you just want to slap. We are called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which means we're called to give the best. And when we do that, we are prepared for the arrival of Christ. When you don't, you're not prepared. It is not good to be unprepared for the arrival of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? And then again, I have to read this again. 2 Peter chapter 3, not the whole chapter, But listen again, as I've talked all about sacrifice, talked all about preparation, talked all about how that's connected to the arrival of Christ. Listen again to 2 Peter chapter 3 and and see if the Lord won't even reach more into your heart about this passage. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. If you think you're not quite ready, you better get ready because Jesus could come back right now. Like, I wish he would. I'm done with all. I am done. Is anybody else just like, poke me with a fork? I'm done. Jesus, ready. Let's do it. Let's get this show on the road, man. Done. Of course, then I think about the people I know who aren't saved. All right. I'm thankful for your patience, Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Can I tell you? The kind of people that offer the best in their sacrifice. Malachi's message applies just as much to the second advent as it does to the first. You ought to be... You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Did you hear that? Our living holy lives is a way of preparing for the second coming of Christ. Do you see the connection? That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking to this, make every effort To be found spotless. Make every effort to be found spotless. Make every effort to be found spotless. 
Any question about that particular phrase? Anybody got a question about that? Well, I, I, think, I think it really means make most of your effort to be found spotless. I mean, try as much as you can, but come on. Is that what that says? We're dealing with the Lord Almighty. Can I remind you of that again? The Lord Almighty is who we're talking about right now. The Lord Almighty is the one who says, Do I not deserve respect by you giving the best of your sacrifice? Holy cow, it all fits together. Therefore, verse 17, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the heirs of lawless men and fall from your secure position. <laughs> um, hey, all you predestination folks, didn't he just say it's possible to fall from your secure position? Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, it's possible to fall from your secure position. And I'm not just saying that because I'm just reading it. There it is. It's possible to fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Man, we got a lot of work to do to be prepared, don't we? For the arrival of Christ. So what does this mean for us today? Well, I'm going to think it means two things. Number one, and by the way, I'm going long, but Sarah and, and uh, Becky asked me to go a little long so they can have extra time to practice with the kids, so deal with it. All right. Okay, so here we go. Number one, I've only got one page left. Number one, be ready. Jesus' coming will be unexpected. Okay? Number two, be ready by living holy lives and giving God your best always. <laughs> Can I get an amen about that? Following Jesus has got to cost you something. Because that's what sacrifice is. Does it cost you? Ooh. It hurts when you have to have something cost you to follow Jesus. It's hard, it's difficult. I don't like it when it costs me something. I don't like it when I have to change my plans. I don't like that. I don't like to make people feel weird around me because I'm a Jesus freak. Right? If I could just let you remember this sermon in one little phrase, it would be, following Jesus must cost you something. Now, I'm not just talking about money, but of course, I am talking at least about money, partially. But of course, it doesn't say, you know, uh, leave your money on the altar in Romans chapter 12, <laughs> right? It says, your body, everything you are, is what's expected of the sacrifice. Now, money is part of that, okay? But it's like this one little part. It's like, it's much bigger. As we learned in Malachi, 
God is not happy with less than our best sacrifice. You know, there's many other passages in the New Testament that urge us to be prepared for the advent, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to read one. Therefore, Matthew chapter 24, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's Jesus' words. He's, you don't know when he's going to come. You don't know. We don't know. Anybody on the radio that tells you that they know is full of baloney. Okay? Full of baloney. Now, I'm going to end this passage back where I began. And this is where it gets... Hmm. Because we're all the way back to abortion again. Why did God judge Israel? Many reasons, of course, but one especially. They combined worship of other gods with him. The Israelites, to put it as simply as I can, they didn't put God first. That's about as simple as I can put it. I believe that legal abortion in our country is one significant way very significant way in which our nation is doing the same thing that the ancient Israelites did. We as a country, we have got to get back to putting God first. I think you guys agree with me. And yet, it means that we're going to have to stand against things that divide us from the exclusive worship of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. And standing there can be difficult. I'm going to show you a three-minute video. The video is about abortion. It's about our response to abortion that I have been wanting to show you. This video has been one I've been wanting to show you for a while, but there hasn't been a right moment. I believe it is tied into us being prepared for the advent of Christ. Because we have got, as a nation, to get back, or we're toast. I think abortion is a primary issue of why our nation is off track. So I'm going to I'm going to show this video. This video is not for kids. It's my last chance. It's the last Sunday I have with you without the kids here. And then the court case came up this week. If there's not a time for me to show this video, there's not going to be a time. So if you don't want your kids to see this, if you're on the live stream, You know, maybe turn the live stream off and come back and listen to it when your kids aren't there. It's difficult to watch. I believe it's important to see. Back in the fall of 2003, Republican Senator Sam Brownback of Kansas debated Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer of California on partial birth abortion. During the debate, Senator Brownback showed a photograph of a 21-week-old fetus that was spared an abortion by doctors who had operated on the baby while still in the mother's womb. The Republican senator then asked, Is this the hand of a person or the hand of a piece of property? To which Senator Boxer responded, 
I am not a doctor and I am not God. I trust other human beings to make these decisions. Question, do you have to be a doctor or do you have to be God in order to know that this is a human being? This is Moloch, a Canaanite god. The scriptures strongly condemn any practices associated with Moloch, which included child sacrifice. And yet, the nation of Israel were sacrificing their offspring to this metallic deity. A ritual started by King Solomon 350 years prior to the judgment. So how exactly were the children of Israel being sacrificed? Step 1. The priest of Moloch would heat up the metallic idol. Step 2. The metal surface of the idol would become blazing hot. Step 3. The children of Israel were placed on the molten arms of Moloch as a burnt offering. In other words, the children of Israel were literally being burned alive. And these were God's chosen people who were performing such atrocities. But after three and a half centuries of rebellious behavior, God's patience with Israel had come to an end. And the Lord God set forth his prophet Jeremiah to the city of Jerusalem to proclaim the following message. The people of Judah have sinned before my eyes, says the Lord. They burn their sons and daughters in the fire. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. So beware, for a time is coming when the bodies of my people will be food for the vultures. The land will lie in complete desolation. And this is what the God of the universe thinks of sacrificing your children on the altar of convenience. Complete and utter desolation. How much longer does America have before God passes judgment on us? We're actively aborting over 860,000 innocent lives per year. That translates to roughly 2,400 human victims a day. What will be our just punishment? That is an extremely difficult video to watch. We must be a people, and our church, the church, must be a church that is willing to give God our best. The one thing I would say about a video like that, that I'm always very, very careful of, is that I know that there are women who have experienced abortion. Something that we should never, ever do as for certainly not as a church, but even as a nation, is ever make laws that punish women that have had an abortion. We should never do that. 
I do not agree with that in any way. That being said, we do need to stand against this as something that our nation does. I know that that is a difficult thing to see, but think about being prepared. What does it mean to be prepared for the second advent of Jesus Christ as God's people in this country? Whatever we can do to bring this country to God, we need to do. We may not win every battle, but we've got to fight. Fight with our weapon that is love. Not fight with something else. You use any weapon but love in this fight, and we've lost before we've begun, church. Jesus is coming again. He will come like a thief. We need to be ready. The way we're ready is by offering our bodies as living sacrifices, giving our very best to the Lord. We are dealing with the Lord God Almighty. He deserves respect. Thank you, God, that you are a God who is patient. And if there was ever a time when a nation needed patience, it's now. We need your patience, Lord. There are so many who are lost. There are so many who need you. Lord God, may we be a light, shining truth, but not truth without love. May we be a light that shines love and leads people with that light toward the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.